Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic wear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic wear on Instagram at Picnic wear, and that's wear, W-E-A-R, and at www.picnicwear.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at NoFlightBackVintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Shop Journal Vintage, specializing in upcycled, handmade, and vintage fashion for all genders. Owner Laura makes each piece by hand with love in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with an emphasis on upcycled menswear, tie-dye, modern jewelry, cottagecore collars, and everything in between. Shop Journal makes pieces they love and hopes you will too. Getting dressed should always be fun. See more on Instagram at shop underscore journal. Old Flame Mending helps you keep your clothes intact through clothing repair, visible mending, and tailoring. Through extending the life of textiles, Old Flame Mending makes your pieces not only wearable and functional again, but also unique and beautiful. This mending duo is based in Pittsburgh, but they take mail-in mending orders from anywhere in the U.S. For more information, visit them at oldflamemending.com or follow them on Instagram at oldflamemending. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. 
Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Wide-Eyed Vintage, a curator of truly covetable vintage from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wide-Eyed Vintage encourages the experimental spirit of dressing up and will provide you with all the special pieces that will make your wardrobe truly unique. Dedicated to preserving the craftsmanship of clothes, Wide-Eyed Vintage only selects pieces that are well-made, pieces that have been proven to last beyond their lifetimes, so you too can enjoy them for more lifetimes to come. See more on Instagram at wide underscore eyed underscore vintage. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage retailer that is dedicated to bringing you those special vintage pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just an online store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 20% of all sales are donated to a new charitable organization each month, amplifying and supporting causes like food insecurity, racial justice, homelessness, and LGBTQ plus support. For the month of March, St. Evans is supporting the Chicago Period Project, an organization that empowers homeless and in-need people to experience their periods with dignity. This feminist grassroots organization distributes pads, tampons, underwear, and other critical menstruation supplies to local shelters, schools, and crisis support networks. Your vintage purchase from St. Evans supports a small, women-of-color-run business while giving back to the collective community we're all a part of. 
New Vintage is released every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time at wheresaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's at where St. Evans. Shop vintage, do good, and wear St. Evans. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles by embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Hi, everyone. This is normally the part of the episode where I say something like, welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that inserts something somewhat funny here, right? Well, I'm still your host, Amanda. But this episode, as you're hearing it right now, is not the original version of the episode that I released this morning. Now it's mid-afternoon, literally just a few hours after I released it. And I I'm sitting at my kitchen table trying to salvage the original recording. This episode is going to feel a little short. It's going to feel a little random. It's definitely a little bit weird in terms of, you know, I like a theme. There is no theme to today except that it's weird. Today I had to make a decision that wasn't really difficult at all, actually, even though it meant throwing away hours and hours of work because it was the right thing for me to do. So... This episode is a little bit different now. Like I said, it's kind of weird, but it's also still pretty good, I think. (laughs) You might recall that I said in the previous episode that I had one more highly educational conversation about Depop for you. Today, we're going to talk to Ava of Unseen Clothing. Like Elise in our last episode, Ava is a top seller on Depop. She lives in LA and she's also doing flea markets like the Silver Lake Flea. So you should check her out if you live in that area. You know, as I'm saying this, I'm just realizing that maybe Ava knows Jessica of Vino Vintage, which would be really cool. I totally forgot to ask. (laughs) Anyway, I personally can't wait until I can finally go to LA again. I can meet Ava and Jessica IRL and all of the other members of our community who live there. I can record an episode of the department in person with Kim, which has literally never happened. And That is pretty wild. (laughs) Um, And I can also go to my favorite, very technologically advanced sushi restaurant in Little Tokyo. And if you've been to this place, you know what I'm talking about. And I pine away for it often because I haven't really had any sushi for the entire pandemic. And that's like definitely one of my favorite dinners. So someday... I'll be having sushi again and meeting all of you. Maybe at the same time, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, 
after we hear from Ava, I'm going to talk for a while about why clothing remains so gendered in 2021. I know this seems kind of random. Why would I be following up Ava with that? And, you know, you know me by now. I love a good theme. But it's from the original version of this episode. And I think it's something for all of us to think about. So I'm keeping it. I'm really excited for you to meet Ava because she has a lot of really good advice and a lot of really thoughtful, like, well, thoughts to share with all of you about Depop, why it's the best platform for so many people, um, and why she loves selling there. So let's get right into it. Hi, so my name is Ava. Um, I run Unseen Clothing. It's um, on Instagram and Depop primarily, but I also sell on some other platforms. Um, So I started reselling super casually in probably high school, maybe Mm -hmm. early college, but like super casually. I always thrifted. Same story as everyone, I think. Um, And just started to see like random stuff. At first, I would see like a Michael Kors top with the tag still on it. I would think this is when I was probably like 18, 19 years old. Oh, that is worth more than four bucks or whatever it was. So at first I was just grabbing like very random, very few pieces for like eBay or Poshmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a long time. And meanwhile, I'm going to college then. I am working retail. And um, so I'm kind of living in that world as well. And I kept selling on the side, and it just kind of escalated over time. Um, It got more and more fun. At one point, I was visiting my grandparents in Los Angeles, and I hit Melrose. And that was my first time going into a real curated vintage store and seeing what that could look like versus a um, small-town vintage shop or thrift store. I'm from Montana originally, so very different world um, as far as the fashion side of that goes. But that really started to spark a light bulb with me that you could take this vintage clothes and really curate it in a way that felt like a regular, like, shopping experience. and was really cool and unique and very purposeful. Um, and then I started to find a lot of people on YouTube, I would say, primarily, who were doing reselling full-time, mostly in the Depop space. And I was seeing how they were curating full collections and... It was a real creative outlet for them. They started to build Mm -hmm. these, like, full brands off of it. And that really started to make everything click together for me. That reselling where I saw this, I was like, oh, this stuff, we'll keep it out of the landfill. We'll um, get it to the right home, like, whatever. And then linking that with the creative part um, really kind of brought everything together. And then I started really getting serious into Depop probably um, 2018. And it really just kind of escalated from there. I would say the last year or so is when it really picked up. But from the get-go on Depop, I was kind of curating and buying stuff for the purpose of reselling it. Um, So that was kind of where it started from the get-go. Now I live in LA. I resell full-time. I sell, um, again, on Depop, on Instagram, and then also at some flea markets. But it's been crazy. And yeah, it all kind of started from flipping a few random things here and there. (laughs) <laughs> that's how it always wild. starts i know i know <laughs> the conversation which you know may be a misconception is that 
Depop is very Gen Z focused and has a different aesthetic than say Poshmark, which I, I mean, I will be honest. I agree. Like I am not Gen Z, but I feel like Poshmark is generally not, not the right fit for me when I'm trying to shop for something. Cause it's not very like creative, you know, right. uh, whereas mm-hmm. I feel like Depop because it is so much younger, at least in terms of energy, it tends yeah. to like have, I don't know, like it has like the trends that I like, like, you know, like if I can search mm-hmm. cottage core and get like 10,000 right. search results, right. Do you, do you yeah. think that Depop is different and is that why you choose that as your platform? Yeah. So I think you're, you're totally hit the nail on the head with it being a Gen Z kind of vibe. So I did some research on that just to get the real numbers. Um, 90% of Depop's users right now are 26 or younger. So wow. I'm, I'm the grandma on that. Yeah, like I'm the old I guess lady. so. And then 56% are under 19. Here's what I always tell people is you need to realize that, yes, all these selling platforms are different and they all have different audiences and they have all different user bases. Once you understand who that user base is, you can figure out what platform is going to be like the best fit for you if you're trying to do it as like a business or even if you're selling just random stuff around your home or which one you want um you think you would have the most fun using and not dread opening up on your phone. Um, but yeah, so Depop's user base is super young and that for some people can make it harder to connect with it. And for some people they love it. And for me, I do love it for that. I think one of the best parts of selling on Depop is for me, it expands the stuff I can sell that are based on the aesthetic or the vibe or the trend. Whereas I don't think I could resell those types of things on a site like Poshmark or Mercari. On those sites, the brand is really important, right? Like, if oh, it's new with yeah. tags, that's great. Sure. Like, those, there's certain things that on, like, Poshmark would crush. You could sell it right away. It would move very quickly. Like, it, you could get it to the right home very quickly. Where on Depop, maybe it would sit for months and months and months and vice versa. So, yeah, learning kind of who those users are and where the best platform is, is important, I think. Um, and it saves a lot of like headaches going forward because once I started to realize that so many of the people on Depop were very young, it really helps you when you're interacting with these people. I get messages sometimes on Depop. It's kind of notorious. Everyone's like, oh, there's so many low ballers on there. But when you understand and you're thinking, okay, almost 60% of these people are 19 or younger, yeah. You don't get to like, your gut reaction isn't like, oh, they're trying to be, it's like, okay, they heard somewhere that they're supposed to negotiate on these sites, so they're just trying that, like, whatever. And you start to think about it in a different way, um, and you're able to, like, help these people, you know, find their place on the online world. So, for me, I like selling on Depot because I can buy a lot of things just based on the aesthetic, the vibe energy you could say of the piece that maybe I couldn't sell on another platform for example like I will buy some not much but I do buy some modern fast fashion stuff I see at the thrift stores if it fits in the vibe of like the collection I'm curating or whatever Mm -hmm. and when I can take a good picture of it and showcase it within you know the full story you could say of the full collection or whatever it makes sense and I can sell that product fairly quickly um so I like that about that. I think this is a way where if it is a creative outlet to you, you're able to keep a wider range of clothes outside of the landfills, um, where I think on some of the other apps, it is a little bit more of a narrow focus on what is going to do well on the app. 
No, I think that is so smart and so true. And I think for all of us to sort of, I mean, everybody needs to kind of adjust their perspective on secondhand and like what has value and what doesn't. I like what you're saying about how there is fast fashion stuff that also can be a part of like a trend concept, like a creative and mm-hmm. stylish outfit that we tend totally. to dismiss that stuff. And yeah, I, I mean, I will say there's some fast fashion that seems to sell almost immediately on Poshmark, like Zara. Zara seems to have like yeah. value there, which uh-huh. makes me laugh. Not that I think Zara is unvaluable, but it's just funny, like the differentiations yeah. between like what people will buy secondhand and what they won't, but like it's all totally. the same, you know? But you'd be um, surprised even on Depop with like um, Forever 21, for example. There's mm-hmm. a big following for, like, Y2K Forever 21. Like, they've been around for kind of a while now. And yeah. granted, it was still, like, total fast, like, really, like, not that different from what they're doing today. Probably a little less, but almost identical. But mm-hmm. an older tag, kind of the older style from, like, a 2003 vibe. You can sell a <laughs> Y2K Forever 21 piece on Depop, like, very quickly. Um which is, yeah, it's nice and good. It's good to be able to find different ways for us to move that stuff mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and move it in a way where people are excited to be getting it. My favorite thing about Depop is it's making secondhand cool. Poshmark, I think, really pushes the business aspect. They do talk about the sustainability and stuff, too, but it's really, like, you can make money, like, the platform. Mm-hmm. Depop, since they, I just listened to an interview with Maria Raga, who's the CEO, mm-hmm. and she was talking about how, Obviously, they have their young user base, but Gen Z is their biggest things are um, another huge into sustainability, and they really do care about it. But mm-hmm. they also care about being cool and being um, having good clothes, and you know, wearing fun trends. And this kind of marries those two ideas together. And I think that's what I've been trying to do with my brand is make secondhand cool for people who don't care about the sustainability. Obviously. Us, the people who are listening, care about sustainability. That's something mm-hmm. that's important to us. But I think you've talked about it a lot and had your guests talk about it a lot. Um, there's people who don't really think about it very much or don't know to think about it or maybe it's just not on the radar or they don't care or whatever. There's a million other things going on in the world. And if something being cool and um, trendy, I guess, is going to get people into buying secondhand and get them excited about buying secondhand, that's exciting to me. Because me, I, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would still shop at thrift stores. Because I can find cooler stuff in thrift stores. <laughs> yeah, and me too. And pushes that. They're like, um, you can find cooler, unique, more interesting stuff. You know, a lot of the pictures of the users are, like, styled. Um, and they really, like, build that community aspect, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, it's like, as we're talking, I'm starting to see the differentiation a lot more clearly uh like depop is really about like the curation of your style and how secondhand is a cooler way to do that but poshmark seems like they they seem to take two approaches there one is like you can be a a hashtag girl boss and like it's like Mm -hmm. mlm kind of like you're gonna work from home right yeah (laughs) who is the same energy i once I started to see that, I can't unsee it, and I'm constantly, like, it gives me a little bit of anxiety. Um, but the, yeah, uh, I right? thought that, too. But the other thing is that if for the customers, it's like, this is a cheap way to get name brand clothes. So it's like a totally right. different approach. And at the same time, I'm like, you know, it's really smart because, one, that MLM energy sold a lot of LuLaRoe leggings. People respond to that. 
And a lot I, of people signed up. <laughs> right? And I see people yeah. at the bins near my house who mm-hmm. I can tell they are, like, they're going to sell this on Poshmark. Like, these are people who never thought about doing it before, and yeah. now they do. And they've got their kids with them, their sister's there, they're working on it. And, totally. you know, when it comes to people who are, like, looking for a hot deal, I mean, hey, that's, that's like, why TJ Maxx is wildly successful. So mm-hmm. I would much rather funnel those people to secondhand than, exactly, you know, like, yeah. like, right? So I, I'm like, okay, good for you, Poshmark. You're doing a good job. You're getting people in who normally don't think secondhand is worthy of anything. Uh, right. But I think that also it really does change the way people sell on there and the stuff that you see on there, you know, like that has its value. Yeah. Um, but I will say people constantly try to low buy you on Poshmark too. I think, you know, some people, Everywhere. <laughs> there's like, I'm right. There's like a misconception that we're all supposed to be haggling all the time. Cause I even hear about people yeah. trying to do this on Etsy and I'm like, what? Like, would you yeah. call up Jeff Bezos and be like, Hey, I want that laptop case for $10 off. <laughs> no. Right. I know. Can you imagine? But it's crazy. I mean, you think that, yeah, it's just constant on there, but it is part of the culture of it, I guess. And I don't know, for me, there's a lot with Depop and everything. Depop is not the best um, pro- programmed app. I, I'll be the first to say that. I think yeah, I can see there's that. stuff that is clunky on there that their software needs to be like cleaned up for sure. And you know, I have issues with it, but I think if you are reselling or whatever, it's best to just understand all those things of like where the different yeah, where the different markets are and where like the misses are and how people are gonna lowball you and just work that into how you're running it. The reality is those things are the reality. For example, I'll when I list my items, I'll list them a tiny bit higher than I really like need or want to get from it because I know and I understand that with most of my customers I end up doing bundle deals and I end up they, they like feeling like they got a deal and stuff, so I can't list it for the lowest possible I would want to take. Right. And then work with it down. And so, and at the end of the day, if you look on paper, the, nothing's changed. You know, that person's still getting it for the exact same price. I'm still selling it, whatever. The numbers are all the same, but everyone leaves that feeling happier, I guess. Um, it's true. And it's just learning to work with it. And le- just with any kind of business, it's like you have to figure out um, – what the realities are and the circumstances that you're going to be dealing with and how are you get, you're either going to let that stop you or you're going to find ways to like lean into that a little and um, work off of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you make a full on living selling on Depop. I mean, I guess you sell on Instagram too, but would you say that like most of your sales come from Depop? Um, so now I'm doing a lot at the flea markets as well, um, mm. but most of my online sales are on Depop. And I am, so I am a Depop top seller. Just recently in the last year with lockdown, it was the first time I, like I told you, I worked retail like seven years and I started at the malls for like the first five years. I was doing Victoria's Secret two years, Gap, I did Ulta, mm. Sunglass Hut. So I lived in that wow. universe for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I looked towards my future and I was like, oh, I'm going to go be a district manager one day. That's my future. And now um, I'm reselling and I'm my own boss in my store that I'm merchandising is everything I handpicked, which is way more fun. Um, but sure. the Depop stuff, it's, yeah, to become a top seller on Depop, you have to do four months in a row of either um, 50 or more items that are averaging $20 a piece or 
over $2,600 for four months in a row. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it took, I mean, I was selling seriously on the app for like two, almost two years before I hit that. And it wasn't until lockdown and I was away from my regular job and I was at home all the time and I had my big dust pile that I had to go through and uh, <laughs> get listed that I was able to really um, hit those benchmarks. Um but now things are pretty consistent on there. I would say with Depop, it does take a little bit of momentum getting. Um, and just with all of this for people, I think with Depop, people get frustrated from the beginning with it because it is, we, like we were talking about, more about, like, the curation. And it's different than listing on Poshmark where you list, you know, the one image and you type out the very specific brand uh, or the – model number of that type of gene or whatever, um, and people search that, people might be scrolling and they just want to see a picture that stands out. I've never done, like, modeled shots on there. People think that you have to be doing, like, full, like, photo shoots to be successful on there. I do flat lays, so I take – I have a yeah. white background. I lay my stuff on the ground and shoot it really clean. And for me, when you scroll through my stuff, it's very, like, professional and clean and honestly it's the fastest way for me to shoot too so um don't think you have to overcomplicate it but you do want to think about the type of user and how it's um they're looking more of that for that aesthetic and stuff so like you were saying earlier how you look up like cottage core for example mm-hmm. your description for depop versus a description you'd be putting in on ebay might look different um on depop you might want to put more words like you would tell your friend about the piece is how I like to say it. Like how would you, or if you were reading like teen Vogue online, like how would they talk about that? Use those kind of words. Um, in addition to like the, uh, the color and like the details of the piece. And a lot of those younger users are searching those. Um, yeah. Like the style or the type of um, aesthetic or they recently added into their listing feature. Um, a style section where you can choose and it's like goth, grunge, um, indie, uh, retro. There's like a ton of different ones. Um, but they're really like leaning into that. So I think that's good to know when you're listing stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so smart just to like narrow it down. And I do think that's really interesting that it's like Depop is really for people who are like in search of a specific aesthetic, but once again, like Poshmark and a lot of the other sites are about people who are shopping for a specific brand, you know? And so like Depop is, is just so style driven. I mean, that's obviously why it appeals for me because I don't really care about the brands of clothes at all. Totally. um, Unless it's something I'm like nostalgic about, you know? Right. I will say there are certain brands on Depop that sell in a similar type of way that like we're talking about the Poshmark brands, but like trip NYC stuff or like old oh Vonda stuff on Depop, <laughs> you, you'd crush it, you know, whereas right, like on right. Poshmark. And I, so there are brands, which is different brands um, mm-hmm. that are going to have their traction there, which is really fun. But for me, like with reselling, you know, I've like fluctuated um, like how I'm doing it. And I think it's really important if people are, doing this on any kind of like serious level um, where they're trying to like make not just like as a hobby of trying to get rid of stuff. But um, if you are going to be doing this, there's so many ways to resell that you should really try and find something that you like doing. And I've done the hit the bins, hit the Goodwill outlet, buy anything I see dollar sign where I can make money and like 
list listing machine, like on eBay, cross posting, like mm-hmm. all yeah. kinds of stuff. And I got super burnt out doing that. I didn't like it. Um, some people can be a machine and they can make a ton of money and keep a ton of stuff out of land both by doing that. Um, just by knowing a lot about or a little about a lot and being able to grab all kinds of random stuff and just list it out there for me. Now that I found a way um, to resell that I'm more passionate about, it makes me more excited to like wake up early and do it, you know, whereas you're seeing um, people selling and getting into Poshmark for them. Like if those are the type of brands that they love themselves and that's the kind of people that they're um, surrounding themselves with. Otherwise that might be like their version of finding like their passion within the reselling world. But I think, People think getting into reselling, they just think, oh, reselling. But there's so many different ways to be doing it. So allow yourself to find a way that you love and that you enjoy. And um, it, may, it it keeps it more sustainable for yourself, I think, and for your energy and your happiness with this, which is really important. Totally. I think that's really good advice. <laughs> well, I, I've learned for myself. And now that I'm doing it my own way and doing, like, the curation and stuff, it um, – you really feel it within yourself that you're more excited and you start to come up with a lot more ideas and stuff. Um, And you start to, all the other stuff, the little um, tinks in the road or whatever, like on Depop, you figure those out. For me, I, you know, over time I figured out the best practices for myself Mm -hmm. and how to um, maximize things on there for me. So I just general advice for Depop guys, like I would say, consistency is huge and I think that's for most platforms social media or reselling is consistency is huge their algorithms love consistency um I always tell people if you're gonna be listing stuff on Depop if you have seven things to list that week try and do one each day versus Mm. seven on Friday um especially if you're first starting all this stuff don't take it as like the end all be all, but this is a good way, I think, to get that initial momentum. Now at the point that I'm at, I do a weekly drop now, but it's because I've built that momentum over time. But to get that algorithm like kicking in your favor, which you obviously want, mm-hmm. list every day, I would say. Um, on Depop, they call it bumping your items. That is very helpful, um, uh-huh. which they don't talk about this much, but all bumping your items means is you're going onto your like main Depop page of all your stuff that you've listed and you're going through them one at a time and it's annoying and it kind of takes a while. And all you do is you hit edit on the, uh, an item's listing, hit edit and then post, edit, post, and you go through all of them and do that. And basically what that, that's doing is it's bumping everything to the top of um, your page and it's refreshing it in the search algorithm. So mm. if people are searching for your type of stuff, you listed a Abercrombie and Fitch T-shirt six weeks ago, and you haven't bumped it since then. It hasn't been bumped up in the search in six weeks. So if you can be bumping your items once a day, that's very helpful. You'll probably start to see a lot more engagement, like a lot of likes, and hopefully some more sales doing that. Um, those two things, if you list daily even if it's one item and bump daily, you'll start to see momentum grow on Depop, I think, in a week. You'll you'll start to see some, like, significant stuff. I think people get um, discouraged not being able to get that initial, like, first little bit of momentum on there. But once it gets going, it starts moving very quickly, and 
people on there, they'll see an account that has a lot of followers. They'll start following you. So it is an exponential growth. And I, um, Poshmark, I know it's definitely like that as well. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think just consistency, consistency is huge. The pictures, like, this is the same with every platform. Just, like, clean, good pictures. Don't feel like you need to overdo it. Definitely it's good to go through other users who are doing well on the app. That's where I figured out how to write my descriptions and what was important to include on those. Um, I would just go through, like, some of the top sellers and see what they were all putting in there. Um, measurements are really great to have in there. You want to make it as easy as possible for these people to know that the item will work for them. It'll fit for them. You want, you know, obviously if there's any damage or anything. Um, and that is really huge too. Also, they do have shipping on Depop that you can use through the platform, um, which is fine. And I think it's okay if you are a small, if you're just selling an item here or there and you don't want to deal with it. Honestly, though, I would recommend everyone get an account with an online shipping, even if you just don't have a business at all and don't even resell just for yourself. If you have a printer at home and you have a computer at home, I personally um, use the website Pirate Ship. I know most of my reseller friends in the community use that website, too. It's just USPS labels, but it's mm-hmm. significantly cheaper I do free shipping on my items, but I work it into my price. When you look at the numbers at the end of the day, it equals out the same whether I were to charge $20 plus $5 shipping or $25 free shipping. So for me, I know Depop does prioritize free shipping. So I, and I know people like, I mean, we're, we've talked about it. We're trained to like free shipping. So. I know uh, psychologically free shipping is probably best, but I just, I know at this point kind of what stuff will cost for me to ship. And with that um, website that I use to print my labels, for most of my items, it's under five bucks usually. Um, Mm -hmm. Very rarely it's over 10 if I'm doing, you know, a bulky jacket or some shoes or something. But um, I find it works pretty well to be doing it like that. And then, um, yeah, you can save some more money. Which, if you're going to be selling your stuff and taking the time to do it, you don't want to be leaving any of that on the table. And I remember you said, too, you um, had an issue not being able to get a feedback. Mm-hmm. So that's so weird to me because I don't know if you maybe talked to, like, a new customer service person or what, but you are able to get your feedback. Um, uh, what a you bummer. Yeah, so I don't know what happened maybe in that situation, but you you should be able to get your – if there's something weird, like I've sold stuff where I, then I can't find it or I sold it at the flea the day before an accident and forgot to take it down um, or whatever, and they usually are pretty good about that. Pro tip, I will say if you do have any customer service issues with CPOP, there is an email that is – they will get back to you, but it's faster always. If you go to their Twitter and go yeah. to Ask Depop and just DM them, you don't have to have your reselling account. I have my like personal account I never even post on, and you just DM them there, whatever your thing is, or if you have a, you need a refund or if you need your feedback or whatever, and they will usually get back to you within a few hours and then get it handled. So if you do have any issues like that, I would definitely recommend going to the Twitter, but um. Yeah, those are like the main things I would say. Consistency is huge. Definitely 
bumping every day, you're going to see a lot of results. Also, finding accounts that are selling or liking items that are similar to that you're selling and following them or engaging and interacting with those accounts is going to be good. Um, I think it is good to kind of frame it in your mind more like a social media than a selling platform because, yeah, like a selling platform like uh, like eBay or Mercari or Poshmark or anything is just going to have a different um, way of being more successful on it. Depop, you do those things, but a lot of it is the community aspect. It's the engagement aspect. Um, one is like the perks of becoming a top seller. You get access to a Slack account they have. That's all the top sellers um, from all over the world, actually. And it's actually pretty cool. But they um, they really like actively are like asking feedback from us. They don't just like talk the talk, they walk that walk. And they really do listen to that feedback from the user base. Um, I know they like hire people who are like just longtime Depop sellers to work for the team and stuff. So um, that's amazing. I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And, you know, this interview I was talking about earlier with the CEO, when she was talking about the youth on the app, her one of the things she mentioned was that for a long, you know, forever, basically, these big brands, these designer brands have been appropriating and stealing from these subcultures, communities, um, from people, you know, taking stuff from the world and taking it into this luxurious and, you know, profiting off it. And Mm -hmm. with a platform like Depop, it's giving that empowerment to the youth. It's giving it directly to the people who are starting those trends in their own communities anyways. These are the ones Mm -hmm. that these big fashion executives are looking at and trying to copy their style for their big, you know, new collection. But mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. gives that power and puts it in that 16-year-old girl's hands who is rhinestoning tank tops in her bedroom and can start her own business and become an entrepreneur. And, like, I mean, for me, like, I am a real example of that. Like, again, I went to college. I did internships. I did the, everything you were supposed to. And I graduated, and I was in retail management still, and I was – scared and I was like what is going on like I don't know what I'm doing with my life (laughs) and now I'm living in LA I'm working full-time doing like it's so crazy but it's it's a really um easy access point for people to get started to do stuff there's a lot of people doing cool reworked projects on Depop um art you know like paintings and stuff even um it's really cool and it's um it pushes people to be creative in it the way the app is designed it's not impossible for these young you know young designer with zero followers on there to start and get their stuff in front of people's eyes whereas mm-hmm. good luck if you start a brand new instagram account like how long will oh it take my to god get, you know people following you or whatever so totally really I cool would... you can start monetizing quick yeah yeah you know and it actually it is like a good corollary to instagram even i mean not just because they, the interface is really similar but i think my feelings about Instagram have changed so much over the years, I'm sure for you too. Yeah. But like in the beginning, I was obsessed with Instagram. This was like pre-influencer era and before brands were getting in there because it it meant you had to be creative to participate and I really enjoyed mm. seeing people take photos and like ex- and like share their lives visually. I thought that was so much cooler than like mm-hmm. Facebook where you could just like write some random thing about your day or something yeah. and I mean this was like a long time ago obviously so but you like a uh, picture of like your food or whatever but it was always like fun and interesting and creative yeah and it felt like to participate 
you had to contribute. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. of course now Instagram has totally changed and like, it's some, yeah. yeah, in some <laughs> ways it fosters creativity, but like, I mean, more and more, I just feel like it's to sell people things. And I know we're all really mm-hmm. trying to do our best with it and use it as a tool to like inform people and meet people, build businesses, all of those things. So I have like a love hate yeah. relationship with it, but I feel like Depop is like how Instagram used to be, where to participate, you have to create, and that makes the content so interesting. Like, it is fun, even if you're not, into like, interested in shopping for anything, to just look at Depop. Like, I get so inspired. Yeah, totally. And especially, like, once you start to find pages that you like, that's where it really it, – there's certain pages I go to, literally go scroll, scroll through as, like, a mood board or as, like, a – it's like a, someone's Pinterest almost. It's so, it is, it's like inspiring. It it really starts to get your brain thinking about things in a different way. And that's what I was touching on earlier about um, being able to resell items that maybe wouldn't be considered to have value in other places is because of that extra level of creativity and, you know, it's a more full picture type of deal. You're able to present your stuff in a way that it's going to, someone else might be able to see that value in as well. I, remind people all the time that we're literally selling someone else's trash we <laughs> are buying stuff at thrift stores or picking stuff off the sidewalk like to, some, to someone this was trash to them so we our job is to show them the value that we see in it um to some people that might be as simple as you know this is like new with tags so it like obviously has value but some other things we might need to steer that conversation or kind of like showcase it in a way where it makes you know, draws attention to why it is special and why we think it's cool and interesting. And maybe that's by um, having pictures that are styled with the whole outfit to show that. Or sometimes I'll buy, like, a fast fashion thing and, like, I'll cut – it's, like, a longer pencil skirt. I don't like the – like, I'll cut it in half. Like, do a quick DIY with something. Like, if you find something dope with a stain on it, you can, like, add a patch on it. And it really pushes you to find new and cool ways to present this stuff. Um that people will still get excited about. And that's been a really fun challenge for me. And it's made the whole process of curating and finding things to resell a lot more fun um, versus just looking for certain types of tags. You know, I, for me, I got burnt out on that because I don't care too much about any brand in particular. I, I had more fun looking for the style, but other people, maybe their brains work a little bit differently and maybe they would hate having a Depop and hate having to think about, you know, the style and the vibe of the picture and all that stuff. But I think that's why it's so good that there are multiple reselling platforms that are out there because like we were saying, we want as many people to be able to get into this as possible. And some people might really resonate with Poshmark. Some people might really resonate with Depop. And I know there's a lot of like new platforms that are coming up and stuff. And I think that's great. It makes Mm -hmm. me excited. Thank you so much, Ava, for taking the time to talk to me. I don't know about all of you, but after talking to both Elise and Ava, I'm more amped on Depop than ever. Like I've just been literally scrolling it while I drink my coffee in the morning and it's so, I'm just so inspired by it. I also think it demonstrates how diverse and interesting that community is because both Elise and Ava have a completely different aesthetic a completely different approach to the curation of their product offering, 
even just the way they photograph their stuff. Yet they've both been able to find their own following of customers and build a business out of it. And I think, I just love that so much. You know, you know that I think secondhand is the future. So I'm constantly trying to brainstorm ways we can get more and more people to start shopping secondhand first. And I would love to hear your ideas about that too. Like, does that mean more in-person secondhand stores? Not thrift stores, but basically someone's like IRL Poshmark closet? Or do we need more apps and selling platforms that target specific demographics that aren't being served right now? I, I think about this all the time and I would love to hear your thoughts about it. You can share your ideas via email at amanda at clotheshorse.world or you can call the hotline at 717-925-7417. It feels very strange that in 2021, amidst so many societal shifts around both gender and identity, that we would be talking about women's wear versus men's wear. Like, why aren't clothes more unisex yet? I mean, think about all of the films and television shows that were set in the future. For some of those, we live in that future, that year that they called the future, right now. And one thing a lot of views of the future had is that we would stop dressing in such a gendered manner, right? And so it makes you wonder, like, why aren't we all just shopping in one department? Why are we continuing to fit all clothing into like this binary system of men's versus women's? Well, for one, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, obviously. For all of its attention to nailing style trends as fast as possible, fashion is always kind of behind the times when it comes to social trends. Like, think about all the retailers we've talked about here on the show who were blindsided by the internet, you know, for example. And most brands still don't make clothing in larger sizes, despite years of conversation around size inclusivity. Most brands struggle to even dress shorter or taller people. Like, they just can't get with it. The entire industry still worships at that tired altar of like high fashion and luxury, and that's where all the great ideas should come from, which seems so ridiculous when we see more than ever that all the real trends are coming from the streets and from social media. And even as Ava pointed out, Depop, even stranger, a substantial portion of the industry still builds its product offering around the categories of customers I still can't believe this, created by those dinosaurs, the department stores. I'm talking juniors, missies, woman, contemporary, like that kind of nonsense. If you really want to make my friend Kim, who's the co-host of the department, laugh, just bring up juniors and missies. It's a laugh riot for her. She loves it. And as much as we laugh about it, I've gone to trade shows and had vendors ask me if, say, Nasty Gal or Mod Cloth were more juniors or missies. How do you even answer that? So if the industry is still hung up on curating a product offering around women's ages and sizes, rather than say lifestyle or aesthetic, which you would say like 
Nasty Al and Mod Cloth, for the most part, were selling to the same age women. They just had very different aesthetics. Most of the industry doesn't get that. They don't see that. They see, is this person a teenager? Are they in their 20s? Are they in their 30s? Are they in their 40s? Of course, that also means that the industry still subscribes to all those ideas related to ageism about what women can wear at what age, right? Ugh, I hate it all. If they're still operating with these old-timey ideas about even how you sell clothing in the first place, well, how could they possibly start shifting their attitudes around gender and dressing? I mean, it's like they're so far behind us. I don't know how we catch them up, you know? Maybe they could work on that after they get around to paying a living wage to their garment workers and they stop making our clothes out of plastic. Just saying. They've got they've got a lot of stuff to take care of, right? And I don't have a lot of confidence in them. You know, clothing wasn't always so gendered, but you have to go way, and I mean way back in time, to a point in history that's so far away. It's the centuries before the Middle Ages. So basically the fifth century, a long time ago. Back then, clothing was intended to protect the wearer, you know, keep them warm and dry, while also functioning during a variety of activities like hunting, running, sleeping. It just like fit your body regardless of your gender, regardless of your size, and it was functional. But as soon as society became more developed, got religious, created government, created the different classes, we stepped into gendered uniforms. One of the places I've worked on the buying side was a brand for women. In fact, specifically focused on cis women. Like that was in our mission statement. And it was for these women who wanted to dress more, quote, unisex. Originally, I was really excited to work for this brand for a lot of reasons. One being that it was interesting to create clothing that, in my mind, would not subscribe to this fashion binary that we've been subscribing to for hundreds of years. But rapidly, I found myself working on button-ups, suits, vests, workwear, not clothing for actual work, but the fashion trend of faux workwear. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. All of these silhouettes scaled down to fit specifically thin cis women. Basically, I was making the classic menswear silhouettes in smaller sizes. And we couldn't buy dresses or skirts or even like a flowy pant or a blouse. I've been thinking about this in the years since and while I was there. When I think of unisex fashion of an androgynous style, I think basic jumpsuits or caftans, tunics, capes, basically useful silhouettes that are devoid of gender details. But the reality is that we often, or at least the fashion industry often, views unisex and androgynous styles as menswear focused. Women in men's silhouettes, right? Men in classically men's silhouettes in quote, feminine prints and colors. Not that one silhouette for all, think the Star Trek The Next Generation jumpsuits. Well, minus Deanna Troy's uniform, which was just impossibly sexy. But that idea of like, we're all kind of wearing the same thing, right? But the industry and really most of our society still views clothing as intrinsically feminine or masculine. And when it leans towards unisex... It dismisses the traditionally feminine silhouettes like dresses, skirts, and blouses, along with traditionally feminine details like lace, 
Puffsley's ruffles because the current binary view of fashion says these, quote, masculine styles are superior to the feminine styles, basically perpetuating misogyny via clothing. And going back to this vision of the future that we've seen in films and television, even Star Trek The Next Generation, when you think about that unisex styling, it still is pants, right? It still has more of a traditionally masculine silhouette, right? It's not everybody wearing a tunic. We tend to think of tunics as dresses, which means they're for women, right? And like, even our fictional view of a better future is still highly gendered. (laughs) Furthermore, this idea of like, men's clothing sort of being superior to women's clothing and these sort of guardrails about what is categorized as unisex, it, it excludes an entire group of people who live in that area between, quote, men's clothing and women's clothing. The people who just want to wear what makes them happy, what makes them feel like their best self, regardless of what department it came from. I mean, Every article of clothing in one outfit could come from a different department in that store, and yet it would feel true to that person's inner self, right? Ungendering clothing is more than men in skirts and women in suits, and that's how we've been looking at it for so long. It's untethering clothing from its section in the department store. It's sort of just putting it all out there, all mixed up, right? It's excising the misogyny and sexualization that are intrinsic to the ways women have been told to dress over centuries. It's taking all of the progress we've made in understanding the spectrum of gender and identity and applying it to the fashion industry. I suppose it would also mean ungendering sizing, but that, I mean, I was telling Dustin this earlier, that seems like an impossible task since we already know the fashion industry can barely dress a substantial portion of people right now with our current system. Could it happen? Sure. But we also know that the industry likes things to be cheap and easy. So any big change costs money and is difficult. It's a tall order. I would love to hear, just love to hear your thoughts and experiences with this, how you've struggled with finding your section in the department store. As a side note, do you think juniors and missies grouping women by age is just like the dumbest thing ever? Call the hotline or drop me an email. I want to hear your thoughts about this. This is such a complicated issue. Me talking about it for five minutes barely scratches the surface. Thanks, as always, for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You knew I was going to say that. And tell your friends to come and give us a listen. Don't forget that you can find us on Instagram at Close Horse Podcast. And every Friday... I'm doing an Instagram live at 8 p.m. Eastern time where I'll update you about blog stuff, take your questions about episodes this week. And I have to tell you, I have a couple really exciting things to talk about this Friday, so you won't want to miss it. Also, if you want to meet other Close Horse listeners, join the Close Horsing Around Facebook group. Uh, I think this is a great moment to also say, hey, have you checked out CloseHorse.world yet? It's been around for a month. We've had so much amazing content. I'm so proud of what we've done so far. And 
If you haven't checked it out, please, please do so now. If you need another podcast to listen to, please check out my other podcast, The Department, which I co-host with Kim, my friend who loves to laugh about the concept of juniors and missies. Uh, We're in a series right now about 2000s nostalgia, and we just released an episode about some of the iconic films and directors of the aughts. It was so fun to just talk about movies we loved. So please check that out. And of course, it goes without saying, thank you, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. Bye.